0: Them. It's usually a big symbolic pace car. They get a they get a great big uh, every year. They have another. This year I think it's a Ford, isn't it? Something like a what? A Camaro this year, huh? Well, uh, you know, they, every year it's a different car. And so they they uh, the first lap is is a symbolic lap, and uh, they parade. It's like the parade of the races uh, race horses at uh, at Aqueduct before a big race. You know, they take. However, they did say that there is a sharp increase on people getting their their kneecaps busted falling on the insides of bananas. Nobody knows what to do with the (laughs) bananas. Hooray for the old, good old U.S. of A. Hooray, hooray, hooray. This very important radio station wants to salute those 27 trillion suckers who all got out on the road uh, God knows how many hours ago to stand bumper to bumper, going nowhere, coming from nowhere just to stand. What's even worse, they're all out there standing in a slow drizzle.
1: Fouling
0: up your spark plugs. Fouling up your mind. Oh, yeah. We set that, Alvin. We may just need that. We may just need... Do you know that that we are so oriented today to to automobiles? And uh, I'm taking this occasion on Memorial Day to salute that, that that great grinder up of man's innermost psyche, that great destroyer of man's tranquility, that great everything else, the automobile. In fact, <laughs> we're so oriented, to auto, even kids, you know, that uh, kids more than anybody. Because I, I, the first thing that I did when I woke up as a kid, the very first minute that my eyeballs snapped open and they began to focus, the very first thing that I did was to holler to my old man, and I, I can remember clearly... Now, not many people can remember clearly the first day that they actually were able to look out of the window. I mean, I, I was three weeks old. And uh, I had just been brought home from the hospital. I'd been, you know, about a week or so. And I just was beginning to focus. And the first thing that I was able to focus on, the first thing that I identified, the first thing, was a Buick hubcap. And, uh, you know, that's right. I I, uh, I belong to that generation. Uh, uh, I belong to the generation that... Uh, that is so totally automobile-oriented that they may not remember how their Aunt Minnie looks, but they sure as all get out can tell you how a Pontiac looks in heavy darkness, <laughs> in the driving rain, only by the sound of the tap it's along, you know? <laughs> and you know, it's getting, it's getting so that the, you know, the, the, the automobile is becoming so all-pervasive. Not only are we hung on cars, we're hung on all the other effluvia that has to do with cars. Like the other day I was in Woolworth you know this is where you see where it's happening baby I mean uh, you won't see it in uh, places like uh, like uh, uh, FAO Schwartz I mean you know the, the, because those are very those are very uh, intellectual type kids or at least they're rich kids and uh, they've got rich type parents you know they buy them things like panda bears and they, they keep buying them teddy bears and that kind of stuff a kid can't care less you know but he, he gets them anyway like gigantic life-size, uh, made out of purest uh, walnut, a life-size model of a quarter horse, with little rockers on the bottom. I see that. I, what the heck are kid going to do with that? I think it's going to be hanging around the house now for a hundred years. I don't know what to do with it. In, <laughs> in fact, last year they had in the in the window there, they had a life-size, and it was life-size. I mean, life-size, not a model. A life-size stuffed giraffe, you know, made out of the zeep toys, you know, a big baby that 100-foot neck hanging out, and somebody bought it for their kid. Some grandfather bought it for their kid, you know, and he's, oh, that's always what I wanted, Grandpa, a life-size giraffe. And, of course, he immediately got scared of it and uh, threw a fit, and 20 years from now he's going to be lying on a psychiatrist's couch, and he's going to be laying there, and the, uh, the head shrink is going to be asking, well, all right, now, come on, we got to get to that aha experience. we got to get right down to the nitty-gritty here. So, all right, you had a rotten time in prep school. Okay, but now let's get where it really happened. The guy's going to lie there, you know, on the sack, thinking he's been facing this thing and running away from it and it's been exploding in his mind for a hundred years. He's lying there. He's a rich kid, you know, he talks like this, you know. And uh, uh, it's not easy to have a jaw that's totally cement. And so he's lying there and suddenly comes, Oh, my God, I know. (laughs) I don't want to talk about it. Please, please. And the psychiatrist says, Come on now, come on, old man. We're both Dartmouth men. Now, come on, you can talk to me. Oh, my God, God, oh,
1: I don't know. Oh, please, please, I can't face it. Oh, God. He says, Come on, come on. Let's, let's have it. Let's have it, Chauncey. Let's go. Oh, God, all right. Oh, <laughs> now I know. <laughs> Gramps. Oh, I'll never forget Gramps said, day. Oh, my God. Gramps. It was my birthday. I was seven. And uh, this is before, of course, I went to the school... Uh, Gramps. Gramps, uh. Oh, God, I can't face it. I can't, I can't, I can't, I really it, God. Please, come on,
0: come on, come on, please, please. Easy, man. Easy. Now, you're gonna go out work into the second hour here if you don't hurry up. Oh, God, God, all right, all right. All right.
1: Gramps. Drove up the driveway. <laughs> he drove up the driveway. And he had this truck with him. It was my birthday present and they all sang Happy Birthday, dear Chauncey. I never had a standard song that they Happy birthday, dear Chauncey. Happy birthday, dear Chauncey. Oh God, I can't. And he brought into the house a life size <laughs> giraffe. Forty feet high. i, tell you, I... Ever since that time, I haven't liked girls. I, I haven't been able to... I just, I just don't know what to do.
0: Twenty years from now, that little scene will be enacted. And it will be all because of the toys Syndrome in America, which is running out of hand. And the other day, I'm walking along through Woolworth, and I see a collection of banks. Banks. You remember when banks used to be a pig? A little slit in the back? put a nickel in, or maybe it was a toad, a frog, you know, like, uh, uh, what was his name from Wind in the Willows, Mr. Toad, that little thing in the back you drop a quarter in, you know, or maybe the bank would be, uh, mm. I even saw a bank one time when I was a kid that was shaped like a bank, you know, like a little bank, had little pillars in the side, it said bank on the outside, yeah, and you put a quarter in it, you know, <laughs> kind of cute, <laughs> Dillinger had one of those as a kid. He practiced taking it out, you see, <laughs> day after day. And, uh, and I, I suspect that these little things that we have that we feed when we're kids, you know, put quarters in, affect us traumatically and we don't know it. I wonder how many people have been afraid of toads ever since, every time he got a nickel, his mother said, put it in your bank. That was a toad, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you, you connect the two together, you know, suddenly. It's like, it all mixes up, you know. I wonder how many guys have ever since been... Ooh, pig's pigs. Ah, I can't stand, the, you know, uh, baked pork or anything ever since. Because he's, you know, the pink pig. He puts his nickels in. He'd prefer to put his nickels in the, you know, gumdrops or uh, invest heavily in wax teeth, something like that. Instead, put it in your put it in your bank now. A penny saved is a penny earned. You want to have a lot of money, ready when you go to school, don't you? Ugh. Plink, and it goes. It's a pig. You hate pigs. Well, you know that one of the big banks now they're selling? i in Woolworth the other day. They got a big pile of banks. What do you think they are? They're able to slip the top. They're parking meters. And they tick. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. And it says 10 cents. And on the side it says uh, Monday through Friday. And I guess you can, you know, you can just, you know, play with it on Saturdays and Sundays. On holidays. Without putting nickels in it, and uh, you you put a nickel in this thing and it ticks, and what's worse, it ticks for one hour, and then after one hour it goes violation. This kid, you know, he's bugged, so his mother says, ah, 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 "Violation! Another nickel, and it goes." And by the time this kid is nine, he's feeding this little monster, and it's going. Pff, pff, pff. It's a John Lindsay special will grow to hate everything that has to do with driving cars. You will grow to hate everything that has to do with little slots to tick. And it will all be, of course, part of the great American dream. And so we salute you, American dream, whoever the devil you are. We salute you with your vast turnpikes. We salute you with your fields of waving Howard Johnson's
1: Directing <laughs> very well. Come right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> You should see that on TV. Come well, up on the table dancing, you guys. <laughs> I'm,
1: I've got a, I've got a nest of American flags in my
0: teeth. up I, I like this great cartoon that I saw one time. It shows these these hunters now, and they are really I mean they're in the woods. I'm telling you, these guys are in the woods that are so deep. I mean, you did nothing but trees, black trees as far as the eye can see. And they're wearing big fur hats. And they've got these checkered jackets on, you know, the whole bit. And they're in a, in a jeep. And you see, stretched out ahead of them, this, this gnarled, twisted corduroy road. Have you ever been on a corduroy road, you know, made out of logs? And, and gee, it's, it's really a wilderness road. And these guys are somewhere way up near the Arctic Circle. And they both got funny looks on their faces. Because as far as you can see along this corduroy road are parking meters. <laughs> it's the conclusion of Robert Moses' American Dream. Get them where they hurt. Get them where they're weak. they got to park that monster sometime. They've got to stop. Yes, They're going to have to stop sometime, and when they stop, nail them the day comes when the self-contained car comes with its own little rest stations. they got to stop. It. Hold it there,
1: Al. Hold it
0: there. Speaking of the American dream, this is WOR. In that most American of all American dream cities, New York. And speaking of the American dream, feed this one to Last me. If not exciting. Very excited, huh? Uh, uh, by the way, uh, just a question. You know, the other day I'm watching TV. Is is there a beer called Colt 45? Is there, Al? Well, it seems to me a little odd that any brewery would dare to name a beer, I mean, with a name that has anything to do with, I mean, horses, you know. Just, uh, I don't know. I, I, didn't, I thought it was, you know, <laughs> you know just something like that. I mean, of course, that that, 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 that pertains to these guys that make these cigarettes, you know. They've got horses. Well, that's another story. Da, 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 da. these are just little passing thoughts of the night uh, I can see this kid you know once again it's a, if you'll sneak it in a little quietly behind me, just sneak in that American music just a little bit out just quiet scene just quiet scene He's just the bullet klutzy the American dream is quietly playing off there in the middle distance somewhere you know And the parade is being led by Allen Ginsberg and Timothy Leary all those great and uh,
1: <laughs>
0: great and solid people, you know, and the, the parade is marching off there in the distance somewhere, the flags are flying and the bands are playing, and the fireworks are going off, and the poor little kid there he's laying on the top half of his double bunk bed, you know, his Woodsman trail model that they got him from Abercrombie and Fitch. This poor little kid, see, now bring it up a little bit there, he's laying up there, see, and over on his dresser table there, early American chiffonier style, see, it's his little parking meter bank, and it's going... And his mother has told him that if he doesn't keep putting nickels in that baby, if it ever stops ticking, and that violation sign comes up, he'll die.
1: The poor little devil. (laughs) Bring it up there.
0: And another citizen is being formed another good citizen who never has violations on his meter <laughs> whack,
1: whack. Whack.
0: you know uh, if for those of you who uh, you know live in the city you know you know all the little trickies that the uh, city people know For example I can give you if any of you are interested out there we're thinking of turning out a handbook L, of this type on how to survive in the city and still be alive. And uh, for those of you out there who would like this handbook, I think it would be very interesting for many of you. Because like, the but never knows these things, but the but the guy who really knows how to get along in the city knows them. I can give you, uh, right now, I could tell you the location of eight parking meters that will give you four hours and more. Some of them will give you all day on one dime here in New York. I've tried them all. There are over 17,296,942 parking meters in the city of New York. Matter of fact, at night sometimes when you go along here, this Manhattan island looks like, looks, looks, looks like some kind of a gigantic sleeping porcupine. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and, uh, so, so this is all part of the American dream. and, and uh, I'm part of it. We're all part of it. And part of the American dream, of course... Is to hang up on showbiz. And so that brings us to our latest commercial here. It says it's a turning point for the upper class commercial movie. Turning point. You know, every big movie comes along with a big turning point, new dimension, uh, added new uh, thing. Uh, movies have come alive. That, uh, you know, always, every movie, and you can't remember three months after you've seen it, and three months after it was made, it is repositing in some dust covered uh, film bin someplace and will show up on TV. Uh, laced with preparation age commercials and stuff <laughs> you know big turning point but nevertheless this is a turning point to the upper class commercial movie the upper class commercial movie now what in the daylights is an upper class commercial movie I presume that that the time and life these are time and life they describe this picture this way I presume that they also that means in opposition to the lower class commercial movie now does that mean Doris Day I see but uh, nevertheless, this is a very involved thing. There's all these uh, descriptions of this movie here. And it says, Don't miss Stanley Donham's Two for the Road from 20th Century Fox. It's now in an exclusive East Side engagement at the Plaza. It's a very adult movie. And that cuts out most of you. It's at Madison Avenue at 58th Street. Who wants to be an adult today? This is every, every, <laughs> you know, this is forever Youngsville. I think, uh, I think movie makers are making a big mistake by using the word adult. In connection with their movies because that's a bad word today bad word the other day I heard Eartha Kitt and uh, she was on the air and Eartha Kitt was saying uh, she was being uh, interviewed or she was testifying before a Senate committee or something and she was saying well well I say that 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 that, that we teenagers just are not given a voice that uh, w- nobody listens to us and that's the trouble we feel alienated we and uh, we feel Eartha Kitt that's what I call dynamic teenagerism. If my memory does not fail me, Earth made her Broadway debut in New Faces of 1952. Well, of course, uh, <laughs> uh, that's part of the American dream. Bring it up there, Alvin. Part of the American dream. Hit it. Part of the American dream is that you can be what you doggone well want to be. That's known as freedom. If you want to be 12, just tell everybody you're 12. Let them argue that one. That's part of total freedom. Because one of the worst of all tyrants is time. It is time that we struck out against a tyrant. We dealt him a body blow. All you guys who are over 30, as of tomorrow morning, you just go right down to the front office and tell them that they can't treat a minor the way they're treating you. And you demand in your next union contract that every hour during every break that you get during your working day that the company provide popsicles, and that the company has to provide swings and slides for recreation periods. <laughs> Hold it right there, Al. Get that part right there, that that immediate part where it goes... Get that part. That's a very important part. And I want you to cue it up in there. And I want to tell you something that has to do with me and Memorial Day and that particular part of this piece of music. Got it in there, Al? All right, you hold it there for that brief instant. Well, my memories of Memorial Day... Don't have anything to do with oratory. Has nothing to do much with uh, with uh, old vets, with people parading, uh, you know the old vet types. It has to do with playing a double B flat tuba. And uh, for years, you know, I was a tuba player. See, and uh, for years, every Memorial Day, every Fourth of July, every Labor Day. Every Thanksgiving day, this crack marching band that I was a member of, and incidentally it was, it was a national contest winner in the marching division, not what they call the exhibition band division, which includes 422 girls out there waving little things in the air. (laughs) Oh, no, I mean, the pom-pom girls, and this has nothing to do with marching. That has to do with, you know, little things going. Uh, That's nothing to do with marching at all. Have you noticed that no pom-pom girl is ever a little round fat girl with glasses? Never. So let's face it, it has nothing to do with pom-poms out there. It's uh, something else that they're working on. That's called an exhibition band. I was in this marching band saying, 66 members lean and hard and quack, bronzed by the sun, with battered teeth from those silver mouthpiece. And, oh, we, there's nothing... Listen, there's nothing that teaches a man more about the hard facts, the reality of nature, that the march against, or even worse, to march traverse at a 45-degree angle to a spanking 65 mile an hour wind, carrying a con double B flat four valve tuba on his back. This will teach a man a lot of things, and it develops the shoulders and the muscles, and it develops a set of cast iron teeth. You ought to try seriously. You ought to try playing this run when you're marching into the wind with a with a with a con double B flat tuba on your back marching into the wind with that German silver mouthpiece in your trap. And suddenly, Stinky Davis, up ahead, our crack ace, number one contest, national award-winning drum major, he raises his silver baton. He goes... Listen
1: to those basses. Listen to those two... I know
0: every note that's... I'll tell you every note of the Stars and Stripes Forever is tattooed on my psyche. And that's not the only one. I can give you, Max, I can give you, the, I can give you the key. I can give you every last note of the NC4 march. On the mall. On the mall. El Capitan. Is El Capitan on that? baby there. El Capitan. Oh, that was, that was always one of the best ones. I think, I think uh, uh, El Capitan, probably more than any of the other of the standard marches, that are done by marching bands. You know, you know. of course, that in a real marching band contest, they have what they call the school marches. Just like in uh, Olympic skating, they have school figures. And these bands are judged not only by the precision of their marching, but by the precision of their play. And because, after all, a marching band that can't play is no band. It's just a bunch of guys holding clarinets, you know, marching around. And so we would work like... Went fiends for week after week after week on the El Capitan March, which was our killer, oh, our killer, because we played it one third faster than it was even written, and we had we had this very fast cadence. Now the standard marching cadence is 120 beats to the minute, you know. Boom, we used to have this fast cadence. You know. That's the signal. That was the signal for music. You want to hear how it goes again? And
1: off we go. And then,
0: this was our big killer, you see. Here's what we do. We're marching along. Now, got this. Now, this is... We would do this on Memorial Day parade when we would cup up against the reviewing stand, and up there on the reviewing stand there would be about seven aldermen, you know, there'd be sort of a, a little gaggle of uh, military types and lieutenant colonels from the local uh, uh, national guard unit with their moth-eaten uniforms all standing up there, and the mayor who was half drunk usually. And we would come sweeping up there, and the crowd is cheering. And this is what we would do: we would we would march at this cadence. Now listen carefully. <laughs> <laughs> We would cut our cadence in mid stride exactly in half. Oh, the crowd would go, hey, we're all in precision marching. Listen to the faces, you now. And up ahead, old Stinky Davis, you know, better known as Wilbur Duckworth. Oh, Stinky Davis is back arched. He's got three batons going at once. He keeps two of them. One in the left hand, one on the right hand, and one he keeps passing back from one foot to the other. He looked like a Fokker trimotor motor in full flight. <laughs> El Capitan.
1: I'm not it. There. And then instantly
0: we would go boom, 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 boom,
1: boom, boom, and the crowd would go
0: away. Holy smokes, you! Know? We had that halftime beatdown, and you'd see Stinky Davis's back arched, and those two big batons would go flying in the air. And then in the middle of in the middle of the second course, this was always always scared him up on the up on the uh reviewing stand, see, as we play the intro, in the middle of the second course, or the middle of the first course, actually, when we would hit when we would hit the beginning of the of the of the basic phrase, just at that instant, with a quiet peep on his whistle, he would go like that. Boom. We go. Boom. And instantly, the entire band would do eyes right. Well, I don't know whether you have, have ever stood on a reviewing stand with 80, maybe 90, maybe 65 instruments. All suddenly, a boom. boom.
1: Oh, the whole reviewing stand would, would crumble. Eyes.
0: That, <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, you never hear people talk much about experiences, really, genuine experiences in marching band. But I'll tell you one experience we had on one Memorial Day, which I will never forget because I still bear the scars from it. Now, we had a thing called the peel-off. Now, what the peel-off is is when the marching band uh, gets to the destination at the end of the parade, you know, destination, and usually there was a big crowd there, and uh, they had... They had stands set up and all that stuff, you know, and up in the up in the bleachers up there, there's going to be somebody to give a speech and all that stuff. Well, we had a peel off, and it was very spectacular, which meant that as we came up to the end of the parade route, uh, we'd be going, and we'd be doing this in place. And then then up in front, thre- uh, Stinky Davis would hold his, he'd hold his baton up, his very official baton, so he would hold his glasses shining, his big shako going. He would, he'd face it. Then he'd go... Dead silence. We would stop. And we were trained not to rattle our instruments. For those of you out there that are running marching bands, I've been noticing a lot of sloppy marching lately. Yeah, you're letting trombones rattle their bells. Uh, of course, the problem is that uh, a lot of marching bands have been infiltrated with girls. And uh, nothing <laughs> looks less military than four 4 foot nine inch girls with wide bottoms, all clearing, carrying clarinets, trying to struggle through El Capitan. That just is not the principle of a marching band. That's more of a waddling band. That's a different type of band. <laughs> we, did, we had no women. No women in this band. It was because, you know, it was not a... It was not a it was like the wrestling team doesn't have any women. This was a masculine activity, nothing to do with women, see? And so we were We'd stand there. And then he would go a little quiet peep like that on his whistle, and the first line in the band would all quickly snap left left face. And then he'd go silent in silent step, very quick. And each line would go off, you know, it's a very quick peel-off, all quiet, no drums, see. That was our whole bit, see? Perfect rhythm, perfect time, but no discernible beat. The beat was implied. <laughs> and now we are all lined up in a long line, going along the great big crowd. There must have been ninety seven thousand people there. And it was in Soldier's Field in Chicago. Yeah, that's why I remember it. And there were hundred and three thousand people. There was a memorial, they know the whole thing they had a big speech for the mayor and all that, and we are going down in front of the crowd. <laughs> And the last row in the entire band, this crack marching band, which had won prizes all over the country, the last row were the bass section, the tuba players. Eight magnificent, gleaming, these were not plastic tubas either. These were beautiful, gleaming, con tubas, you know, with the gold bell and the German silver back. Oh, these babies cost God knows how much, you know, each one of them. In fact, they had a float a bond issue every year at the school to buy a new tuba. And it would be on the ballot, you know, tuba. You know? <laughs> and so finally we were equipped with these magnificent cons, big golden bells, double B-flat type four-valve tubas with the ring, the whole thing, you know, with the triple spit valve, you know, with the overhead valve, uh, semi-elliptical action, the whole thing, beautiful tubas, you know. And, and I can remember playing this tuba, and you had to work on this tone, you see. Most people think a tuba is a humorous instrument. To a tuba player, it's about as humorous as a pyramid, it is a challenge. It's like Mount Everest. Uh, it, it's not funny. And after a while, you get to love your tuba. And you know you know every little bump on it. You know every feel of it. And you know the smell of it and the whole thing. You, yeah, you know, it's a smell to your instrument. You know the smell of it. And the, you, you have to feel it. It's yours, you see. And every day you'd come into school and it would be in its rack in there. Number 12, your, your tubas. And you'd take it out. You'd, they, you'd get your polish, your silver polish, and your brass polish. You'd polish this baby before the parade. And when she would go out into the sun, you'd see the sun just gleaming off of them. All, all eight of them lined up. Over here to my left is Snuffy Smith, the tuba player. Over here is uh, Jake Doppler, who was down at the end. Schwartz played tuba with me. Over here is uh, Rose, Sonny Rose, was another tuba player. And you hear all these tuba players all lined up, see? Doppler and Schwartz and Rose and Jake and the whole crowd. And we would stand at attention. And we were all carefully selected, see, to be almost the same height. Oh, yeah, that's the whole thing. You can't have uneven heights in your tubas. You know, they're all neat, clean bells. And at the, at, that, was the, that was the moment when the crowd would really applaud because we were very close formation, very close. We'd be very close to each other. And the instant our line would come, we were last in line. You see, each guy's peeling off. Nothing is left except eight tubas, all standing out there in the field by themselves. And then at the implied beat, at that second, we would all snap to the left. With each bell either leaving, you see, it's a thing, like that, and never a tink of a bell. Oh, what a moment, see. And then we go, you hear the beat in your mind, you see, in your head, and you keep saying, you know, keep your bell straight. You know, your bell has to be lined up straight and clean with the next guys ahead of you. And I was about fourth in the field of eighth, There, maybe fifth, something like that. And now we come to make the right turn as we're going to go along that, that long row of benches and people all crowded, nine million people cheering these tubas. See, we come up to the right, and we turn right. Now, and I could see the line clean and sharp up ahead of me there. Now we are marching past the reviewing stand. We are making a big, snaky left turn going up to our section in the band's. In the band section, if there were two other bands, crack bands there that day, for this big Memorial Day celebration that was being covered by every major newspaper, newsreels the whole bit. And my tube was flashing, when all of a sudden I couldn't believe it. I see the... I hear a clank, first of all. uh Uh-oh, uh-oh. Who lost up? And I see the tuba ahead of me start to go down. He jerked up, and all eight tubas went down like a house of cards, banging and clanging against one another. Snuffy Smith, the number one tuba in line, had stumbled over a bench that somebody had left down there or shoved down there, and down he went, and all eight tubas, boom, bow, crash, pow. And I got a mouthful of, of German silver mouthpiece. That mouthpiece started right here at the front one, Al. <laughs> it worked all the way through the basic bicuspids, went over my molar, and lodged somewhere just to the left of my right const- Oh Down we went, all of us, the whole crowd. Well, of course, Snuffy snuffing, buried under a pile of eight tubas. And uh, I could hear Jake Doppler crying weakly for help. He had a cracked pelvis. I could hear him down there in the crowd. Way up ahead, Wilbur Duckworth, our ace-crack, maniacal, insane, Hitler-type drum major. He looked over the scene and saw, of course, immediately, that it was a scene of total carnage. And instantly, being a really great drum major, he recognized that in moments of panic, the only thing that quells the rising throng, the rising storm, is music. He blew his whistle and instantly the entire band started to play El Capitan. Well, being a a crack tuba section, the best eight tuba players in the entire Lake County, instantly we began to play the tuba coda piled up on the ground. Well, all I got to say to you is the crowd went ape. They went wild. The next day, there was a report in the papers that the Hammond High Band pulled a maneuver that completely won all the honors, took the cake, a simulated accident in which they played El Capitan flawlessly all the way through with eight tuba players forming a human pyramid, lying prone. And I can remember lying on my side with Schwartz's bell behind my left ear. And I recall... Oh, what a moment of triumph. What a moment of sheer beauty, artistry and technique. I could see those waving flags... And then as we got to feet of course, you know, our bells were dented and banged in, but absolutely impassive. That's the thing you have to do when you're in a marching band, a crack marching band. You've got to maintain an impassive face. It's all part of the, it's like, It's like. have you ever seen pictures of the, the cold stream guards uh, outside of Buckingham Palace when one of them paints from the heat? He does not show the slightest emotion. His face is blank as he topples over, and his companions stand blank-faced. At attention. Well, we leaped to our feet after the last coda, after the last note had been blown. We leaped to our feet. And then we were duckward. Signal for a repeat.
1: And in perfect order, we marched forward. And it wasn't
0: easy to play, El Capitan, with one valve jammed. It was not <laughs> it was not easy to play with three broken front teeth. And I could see a slow trickle of blood coming out of Snuffy's ear up ahead of me. Oh, you know, after all, at, uh, when you're when you're piled on by seven con tubas, as well as being crushed by your own. I mean, you know what hell is. And so out there tonight we salute all of you Memorial Day bands, wherever you might be. Oh, there ain't many real good tuba men left. Well, no, I take that back. There are a lot of good tuba men left. But there aren't many good marching bands left. There's a lot of pom-pom girls, that I'll admit. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, color guards, that I'll admit. But, uh, oh, th- I'll tell you another thing. There's nothing more impressive than to watch a really ace marching unit that has maybe eight solid trombones out in that front rank. Have you ever seen trombones do a left face, all the while playing Rastus Brown? Have you ever watched that? Uh, <laughs> Ah, there aren't many sights under the setting sun. And everywhere one looks, one sees the empire crumbling. But one knows somewhere deep down inside of the marrow of the bones that there'll always be an American. There'll always be an American, no matter how silly he is, carrying his Eskimo pie bars to work, and the flag flying, the drums rolling. There'll always be one someplace. What was that that Barnum said? No, I think he was far short of the mark. And so, friends, keep your eye on this middle. Keep your eye on that middle walnut show. You suckers out there, we'll move them back and forth. All right, now you're ready to place your bets. Ready to place your bets. Put your money with your mouth, it is wise guy. Hey, roll, hey, roll, move back. We've got business to take over here.